your Bibles to the book of Hebrews, chapter 6. I'll be reading Hebrews chapter 6, verses 9 through 12. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Blessed is the reading of God's holy, infallible, inerrant, instructive word to our hearts and souls and our walk with Christ. Oh, Father, may we continue to worship you together, communally, over your word. And then as we partake of the communion of the saints through the bread and the cup. So, Father, do your wonderful saving and sanctifying and encouraging and worship, gendering work in us to the glory of your name. Amen. I think a, a very subtle but big mistake that we Christians are always susceptible to is to confuse loving God with loving or serving people. It's very subtle because it sounds really good on the surface if you make them identical. Of course, I just, well, I, the way I love God is I just, I do things for people and that's my love, that is my love for God. But when love for God gets confused, when worship of God, when going vertically to get filled with and to delight in God Himself as our treasure, when that is viewed as identical with loving other people, then the love of God is already slowly just morphing into mere humanitarianism. And history has seen it over and over. In the late 1800s, in what was known as the social gospel movement, every denomination, every church that it affected by the next generation, they were utterly unbelieving churches. Theological liberalism destroyed it because 
that was confused with Christianity, worship of God, is horizontal, identical. And I predict that the same thing is going to happen to all those churches imbibing now what we call social justice. Feeding it into the gospel. Here's the point. Loving God is distinct from loving others. And then on the other end, it's also very dangerous to say, okay, I'm just going to love God in such a way that fails to bear the fruit of loving others. Where there can be a form of Sunday worship, and it's what we do. And it, here's the key, it replaces faithful witness in the world. Or where the study of theology and the study of God replaces serving people. Or where prayer, I just go vertical, replaces any duty to show actions of compassion to others. Also a danger. So in order to preserve true Christian love toward others and true, authentic love toward God through Christ. We must keep, the use the term, the vertical. That, that's your relationship with God. Together in communion, our going to God vertically. We must keep it distinct from the horizontal when we go towards others in service or in love. They are intricately, in the Bible, connected but they are distinct. You remember when they asked Jesus, what's the greatest of all the commands, Jesus? And He answered in such a way that does not allow us to have one of those loves without the other. So one can say, I love God. I'm, I'm a Christian. Therefore, I don't have to love or serve other people. And it's just as much an error to say, I serve God. I do all of these things. And that service itself is the way I am loving God. So I don't, I don't have to have a personal devotion, adoration, joy, vertically with God. That's just over here in my, my service. Remember how Jesus answered the question? Matthew 22. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the first and the great commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So Jesus keeps them, he keeps them connected. 
So we, we need to know that when our flesh or, and our sin and Satan would love to separate those two as if you can have one without the other. But he also keeps them distinct. And in religion, our flesh, oh, it would love to be religious and to take those two distinct commands and make them identical. Vertical, loving God. Horizontal, loving others. Jesus says, love God with all that you are, your heart, your mind, your emotions, your feelings, your soul. This vertical love there cannot be reduced to service or loving others. If it could, then the second commandment would be unnecessary if they were identical. The first is not the second commandment. It's distinct. The second is like the first because they're utterly connected and together they fulfill the whole law. And the prophets, loving God and loving people are not the same. That's the core of this sermon because of our text. We'll see in a second. They are utterly inseparable in the Christian life, but they are not identical. So let's move now to our text. In Hebrews 6, and as we slowly, I know, probably this morning, meticulously read it and pay attention to it, we've got to avoid confusing those two. Vertical love to God, horizontal love to others. Right here in Hebrews 6, 9 to 12. Because it shows us just this, that they're inseparable, but not identical. One creates the fruit of the other. So, remember last week, we looked intently at verses 9 and 10. Though we speak in this way, Yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things. Things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for His name in serving the saints. And as you still do. So last week, we saw that the flow of the text goes like this. Let me just flip it. The logic upside down. He's saying, you have ministered to the saints and you still are ministering to the saints. You have done this out of your love for God's name. And God's justice sees this. He will not forget it. And this is the reason that God will not let you fall away, ever. 
And therefore, the writer says, that's why I have strong confidence that you're going to persevere and continue to experience the better things that are the fruit of salvation. So last week we saw God's justice, remember, is the reason He will cause all of those who have fled for salvation in Jesus Christ, every one of them He will cause to persevere to the end. Why? Because His justice sees the fruit of our love for His name. Which is another way to say the fruit of Salvation in you. That's saving faith. So in other words, when, when believers serve the saints in the text out of the love for His name, it's connected to the love for His name. And God is just. He is not unjust. He would be unjust. He would be unrighteous if he ignored or forgot or would overlook that genuine fruit that came from genuine love for his name, and he will never, ever do that. Because those are the fruit of saving faith. All right, that's last week. All right, so what do we do? How do we live? What's he telling us? Well, we'll see directly what he's telling us in verse 11 in a second. But just so from last week, here's one way to say what you do. You go on doing the logic of verse 10. The love you have shown to God's name resulting in having served and still serving the saints. Loving God is the source. It's the power to serve the saints. And that's what makes that service of love to the saints the fruit of the Spirit. As opposed to burdensome works of the flesh. That's verse 10. Then he repeats the same logic in verses 11 and 12. And we desire, here it is, this is what he's telling us to do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end. So that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. That so that is huge in this context. Right there at the beginning of verse 12. It means that verse 12 is the goal. Or the purpose of verse 11. They're not identical. But the earnestness to reach the goals that are there in verse 12 
That's not the focus of the earnestness. The focus of be earnest is not that you may be not be sluggish and that you may be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. But the focus in the text of the earnestness is on verse 11, which is the means to the goals of verse 12. I'm going to read it again slowly and see the connection between verse 11 and 12. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope. So that, when that's being done, what flows out of that is, you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Not being sluggish, it's a goal, but you get there by being earnest to have the full assurance of hope. That's vertical. Imitating those who walk in faith, and thus they practice and watch their lives, etc. That's a goal, but in the context, you get there by realizing vertically the full assurance of hope. His desire for how they are to live the Christian life is the same here in verse 11 and 12 as he said in verse 10. In verse 10, one goal implied there is to serve the saints. To love the saints. Horizontal. The way to reach that goal in verse 10 is love vertically for His name. Which I think is indistinguishable from loving God. Just the way He wants to express it here. So what's clear in the text is that the Christian life We all know this by experience. And it's all over the New Testament. It's a battle. This writer has made that clear. Remember, he said, strive. That's striving. That's that's, that's work. That's a battle. Strive to enter the rest. That's vertical. There's earnestness. He commands us here. No, no. Be vigilant. Be vigilant. About it, be having it at the forefront of your consciousness to be earnest to maintain the fullness of vertical you and God and the hope He gives you. And the life is about a battle against laziness, dullness of hearing, sluggishness, unbelief. It's a battle to be patient until we inherit the promises. But in all of that, the direct focus of the battle, first and foremost, in the Christian life is not on those things. They're indirect. It is on the direct focus to maintain full assurance of hope. 
hope that God promises you. That's relationship. It is, that's what it is to, oh, I love God. I love His name. I love the name of His Son. There's no other name under heaven given amongst humanity by which any of us can be saved. Oh, how I love Jesus. It's always every day, first and foremost. And the results of that will flow from it. Hear it again, verse 11 into verse 12. We desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full Assurance of hope until the end. So that the other goals in verse 12 will come. So just what does that mean? Show the same earnestness. I think, I think the key word here is the word same. He said same there in verse 11. He doesn't just say, show earnestness. He says, show the same earnestness. So look at the text. The same as what? It's clear. The same as verse 10. Show what you showed in verse 10 earnestly. And, and notice, he also uses the word show in verse 10 and in verse 11. Repeats it. Show the same earnestness in verse 11 as you showed in verse 10. And what you showed in verse 10 was love to God's name. So just hear the flow between verse 10 and 11 again. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love you that you have shown his name. Verse 11, and we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness. The writer's flow of thought goes like this. You showed love to God's name in verse 10, and it overflowed in serving the saints. Now, in verse 11, show the same earnestness toward the full assurance of hope, and it will overflow in not being sluggish, in imitating those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So show the same earnestness of love to the name. Show the same earnestness a full assurance of, of 
hope. When you think about it, I don't think those are two different things in the writer's mind. They're, they're essentially the same thing. Loving the name of God, does it mean anything less than, I am pleased with who God is to me in Christ. I just love Him. I love His name. And, and, and so having full assurance of this wonderful biblical word, hope, it, it means I'm happy. I'm satisfied with what God, here's a little twist on it, will be for me. That's the hope in the future. That's why it creates patience. Because a lot of promises haven't come yet. But presently, you can have a full, vertical assurance of hope in the promises. So, I love God. I have hope. They're not different. They're both vertical. Same. Hope is at its core. What is that? It's faith. Though the word faith will encompass past faith, present faith, and future faith, hope really focuses on that future aspect that you haven't inherited or seen yet. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the writer will say, right? Chapter 11. So, so together, love for the name, hope. It's full assurance of those promises that he has given in the gospel. Both of them are saying, find your heart's delight in who God is to you right now. And who He's promised to be for you tomorrow and for an eternity to come. So what we have here is the Christian life in a nutshell. It's just as I began the way Jesus gave it. Love God. And then overflow in loving others. The way to be servants to each other. The way to love. The way to put down the flesh and selfishness. The way to be patient and not sluggish. The way, according to the text, to inherit the promises is first to show earnestness in drawing close to God. Being filled with hope, with patience. And that's practical. Because all of our lives that are sitting in here, if we've been converted to Jesus or battle. I mean, the older I get, I say to other older people, keep going, let's finish. Let's finish well. There's a 
pursuit that Christians are commanded to be on constantly. It's a, there's a pursuit and commands to love others, prefer them, serve others, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And if you're a believer, those are commands to us. There's a diligence that we're commanded to maintain. There's, a, in the text, an earnestness. There's a fight. It's a command to be zealous. Or passion. For Christ in this world. Vertically and overflowing. Horizontally as, as a light. But in all of those things, always the first and the most direct focus of the battle of earnestness is not on the fruit or the certain behaviors that we need work on. It is always on earnestness focused on God. Am I drinking from His fountain? All the other commandments are the second commandment. And if you put the second commandment first, you will run out of gas when it comes to continuing in works, loving works, obedience to God's commands horizontally, the second half of the Ten Commandments. And when that happens, what happens, I think, and I'll offer it to you, is that those works, where maybe at one time they were flowing out of my vertical relationship with God, and now I'm still, well, I got to do these things, and they have turned into begrudging legalism. Because I'm out of gas. Here's the take home. Put first things first. Drink from the fountain, not of other people, of God. As the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul, thirsty, pants for you. Oh God, love His name and all that it represents. Pursue Him. Be satisfied at the water brook of God. Pursue the full assurance of hope, in other words. Day by day, until, as He says, the end. Because we all know, if we've been around as Christians long enough, we know it's very possible to be, have been going down the, the track of drinking from God's reservoir freely and easily. And it produces all kinds of fruit of the Spirit and obedience to God's Word. 
And then we find ourselves slowly wandering away from the source of life. Out of outward life, it all kind of looks the same. But we've wandered away from God, meaning intimately and prayerfully and wordfully. And it's easy, just like we talk about Western civilization, right? They're, they're existing on the fumes of what the Judeo-Christian Western civilization created, and they think it's going to last forever, and it won't. But it'll go for a while, and in our Christian's life, Christian life, we might go for a while, continuing to do service and ministry, and whether we're in the church and outside the church and in family, and it still goes while we ignore getting our gas tank filled up at the pump with vertical communion with God. Pastors can do it and can go on preaching for a while. Every believer can do it in serving however they're serving in the church going. And all of it starts to become again feeling begrudging because it's coming slowly more and more from mere non-hope filled non-vertical filled duty sometimes we try to grow and we ought to try to grow in behavioral patterns we try to pursue the command to love others. We try to, to, to reach out to people, to people in the local church or to others to, to do that. Oh, this is not joyful in and of itself in this category, but to comfort those who, who, who need our time and it isn't flowing from a heart that's contented in God. And it's burdensome. We might look at John's commandment in 1 John. His, his commandments to, are not burdensome. What? They are right now. Go to the fountain. So let me make one last well, comment. I, I, I don't mean this in an absolute sense across the board. Life's more complex than that. So having... Giving that, let me just say, we, you know, the term burnout in the English language, okay? And we as Christians in the church have used the term burnout in, 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 our, in our communities. I, I think that, that, that a lot of that stems from the fact that we may not have maintained a regular prayerful, wordful devotion to God and with God. If we let other things crowd out the vertical, the time with God in the Word and in prayer and to meditate and to think and to allow our hearts to find their fullness in Him, then the work of loving and serving others will soon drain us. 
Christian living and loving and ministering to others is biblically to continually go and have our cups full, full to the brim. So now that other part is the spillover to others with the strength that God supplies. And when we let our cups run dry, we say, I'm burned out. We need to obey the first commandment first. Always. And then the second commandment will be in its proper place. So, let us go on. Habitually, in our individual, alone lives, and in corporate life, habitually go to God. Dwell with Him. Press in to Him with praying, honesty, joy, crying, pain, and hearing. Hearing Him in the Bible. By the Holy Spirit until He becomes our heart's satisfaction. The deer raises up from the brook, satisfied until we love Him for who He is. I mean this. Till we love Him, not to serve or give anything to Him. He doesn't need it. He's the water. The deer offered nothing to the water. He's the source of life. Come, drink, and eat without cause. <clears throat> Till we love Him for who He is for us now. And here's the other one that brings so much fear that needs to be diminished. And for what He has promised to be for us in the near and very distant future. Or in other words, until we have again and again the full assurance of hope. And then you go to bed. And then you wake up tomorrow. And you do it all over again. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for a taste of the drinking of your fountain this morning together as we opened up in word and prayer and song. You're good. By your grace and the power of your presence of the Holy Spirit, may we continue to drink together as we all look up to you now and prepare our hearts 
for that wonderful drinking of the cup of your son's blood and the eating of his body to the glory of his name.